I want to encourage you, church, to turn in your Bibles to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. Now, as you're doing that, I do want to say, you know, I know we chapter 29. And we've made our way there in our Bible reading. You should have read, uh, if, you're, if you're tracking along with the Bible reading, you, you probably read this yesterday, uh, or maybe you're a little ahead, maybe you're a little behind. Either way, this is kind of where we're landing here as we are moving along through the storyline of Scripture. And what we see continually and what we know is that God governs all things according to the counsel of His will. And for his glory. And then for our good. So we know this. We cling to this. We proclaim this even. However, the challenge for us is do we truly live like it in every facet of our lives? Do we truly acknowledge God's governing counsel, his providential working of all things for his glory, our good, and according to his will? Do we acknowledge that with every facet of our lives? Now, this brings to light that there are some areas of our life where it's easier for us to submit to that truth than others. There's some areas where we will gladly say that the Lord is, is the one who is governing all things according to the counsel of his will. He's in charge, right? We'll gladly acknowledge that and submit to that in some areas. And then there's other areas that we will hold tightly to until he rips it from us, right? And so the question which I want us to ponder is, how is God governing, providentially guiding, and positioning my finances for his glory and my sanctification, well-being, and good. Okay? So, there are absolutely preachers, and I want to get this out of the way, that will tell you that what you have in your bank account is proportional to what you have done or can do for the kingdom. They'll tell you that this is it's, uh, dependent upon how much faith you have sown. And most of the time, it's how much faith have you sown in their particular ministry, right? And so, sow a seed, reap a reward. That's what you'll, you'll hear them say. And all of it is garbage, okay? And I realize that this topic can, can make many feel uncomfortable when it's preached about. And my, my prayer has been, and leading up to today, is that I will do a good enough job, that I will prove myself a workman equipped, that I will do a good enough job of focusing all of our attention on the Word, that our sensibilities and sensitivities won't be distracted by the topic, okay? But rather that we would be focused on the one whom this topic points to, all right? So I'm going to invite everyone to stand once again as you are able. As we read our text this morning, which comes from 1 Chronicles chapter 29, starting in verse 10. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. 
And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offer freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes, performing all, and that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. Then David said to all the assembly, Bless the Lord your God. And all the assembly blessed the Lord, the God of their fathers, and bowed their heads and paid homage to the Lord and to the king. And they offered sacrifices to the Lord. And on the next day offered burnt offerings to the Lord, 1,000 bulls, 1,000 rams, and 1,000 lambs with their drink offerings and sacrifices in abundance for all Israel. And they ate and drank before the Lord on that day with great gladness. This is the word of God. To be and how powerful we think you to be in our lives. So I pray, God, that you would help us see all things through the lens of your glory, that we may eagerly seek to live out your mission of your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, church. You may be seated. So, and Looking to today's passage, before we unpack all of that, let's consider the storyline of events here. So David sins in taking a census. We looked at that a couple of weeks back, and the Lord providentially uses that sin to bring David low, and in that, purchase the site that it would eventually become the Temple Mount. And what we read of in 1 Chronicles 22 is that David now begins to see and understand what the Lord is doing and how the Lord is working in this. And now he knows that he will not build the temple. Remember, that was David's initial desires, that he would build a house for the Lord. And the Lord said, you will not build me a house, but I will make of you a house. And so David now knows he's not going to build the temple. Rather, his son Solomon is going to be the one to build the temple. And he knows that Solomon is young and inexperienced. So he begins to make the preparations. David wants to make sure that his son may be set up for success, that the Lord would be glorified in this, that the people would see God's working in all of these situations and in all of these scenarios. So David then calls for Solomon and he gives Solomon a charge to build the temple by reciting to him 
the Davidic covenant. So David wants Solomon to understand that his task of building the temple is not in an effort to build up his resume as king or to establish his standing for generations to come, but rather he wants Solomon to know that he is building this temple in providential design by fear not, do not be dismayed. So David prays and challenges Solomon for the wisdom, the very wisdom that Solomon is known for. David prays that and challenges him with that, that the Lord would bless him with. Now the challenge with building something as massive as this is that it takes an enormous amount of resources, manpower, ultimately finances, to accomplish a task like this, a feat of building a temple worthy of the Lord in which will be the very center of the people, not just of worship, but of life itself. So, this is what we see as now part of David making that preparation is preparing the necessary finances to undertake this challenge. And that's where we begin with chapter 29, is David making the financial preparation. So I want to turn your attention back just a little bit to the preceding verses from our text for today, which is starting back in verse 1 of chapter 29. We read this in verses 1 through 3. And David the king said to all the assembly, Solomon my son, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. And I'm sure Solomon's like, Dad, you didn't have to say it, right? So, and the work is great, for the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. So I have provided for the house of my God so far as I was able, the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, and the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, the wood for the things of wood, besides great quantities of onyx and Stones for setting antimony, colored stones, all sorts of precious stones and marble. Moreover, in addition to all that, I have provided for the holy house. I have a treasure of my own gold and silver. And because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. So, pause right there. I want us to make a few distinctions because this is the beginnings, again, of David making preparation for the temple to be built. We're nearing the end of David's life here, and he, he's realizing what God is doing in this moment in Israel's history and in salvation history. The work is great. Now, here the word for great is gedovlah. Okay. This is the same word used to describe throughout the Bible in many different ways. It's used to describe the size of an offering. Elsewhere, we see it used in Joshua in the battle of Jericho, where we see that the people, when the horn were to blow, they were to lift a great shout. All right? And we also see it used to describe the measure of sin. So this word carries with it the significance and meaning of not just the size of something, but also the immense importance of a task or subject. So in saying that the work which they are soon to undertake is great, David wants to convey that not that the work is going to be just of immense size, although it is, not just that it will take thousands of people, significant labor and resources, but that this work is great because it is for the Lord. And that's what we see there in that word, the word that um, 
precedes that word great. So, and the work is great for, so because, the work is great because the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. Therefore, David says, he has given to the extent of his ability. So, not only does David tell us that the work is great, but then he tells us, you see the, that very first word of verse 2 is so. So the motivation, the reason for his response to this is that the work is great. It's great because it's for the Lord. And therefore, what does he do? He gives to the extent of his ability. So I have provided for the house of my God so far as I was able. The gold for things of gold, silver for things of silver, so on and so forth. You get it, all the different things that are necessary there. But then he goes and he says in verse 3, Moreover, so not only is he provided from what the kingdom's resources are, moreover, in addition to all of that, I have provided for the holy house. I have a treasure of my own gold and silver. Because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. So David gives not only of the nation's resources, but his own personal wealth. He gives to the extent of his ability, not the extent of his comfort, his satisfaction, or even the extent of what he's budgeted to give to the Lord, right? But that he has given the maximum amount that he is able to give while maintaining himself and his family. This is sacrificial giving. And here's the first thing I want us to see this morning. It's the first point there on your outline. Again, hopefully you grab one on the way in. The answer will be on the screen behind me. But that great work requires great sacrifice. See, the, the proportion of the sacrifice is in response to what it is being given to. Not necessarily the amount that is given, Thus, when the people of God give to God their maximum ability, we are acknowledging God as the supreme giver of all good things. Let me repeat that. That when the people of God give to God at the maximum of their ability, we are acknowledging God as the supreme giver of all good things. We're saying, I'm giving to you what you have already given to me. And so David says that I'm going to give to the maximum ability of the kingdom. I'm going to give to the maximum ability of my own pocketbook. Why? Because the work is great. And why is the work great? Because it is for the Lord. So he says, so far as I was able. Now here's what we need to understand is that in order for the sacrifice to be great in nature... What we are able to give must be the floor, not the ceiling. The other thing we must see is that giving sacrificially does not mean giving after we have fulfilled our desires. But rather, giving sacrificially means giving at the expense of our desires. I'm, in, I'm increasingly convinced of this, that the sacrifice of sacrificial giving is not necessarily or just the monetary value of that which is being given up. 
but also the life which would be lived through that money. So when we give sacrificially, what's being sacrificed is not just the monetary value of what we give, but it's saying, I would rather give this to the Lord than live the life that I could live with this money. I would rather give this to the Lord than satisfy the desires of my flesh, than be a little bit more comfortable, than drive the nicer car, than do whatever it takes. I would rather give this out of obedience and compulsion to the Lord rather than maintain it for myself. So David gives from his own personal treasury to support what God has clearly ordained. And this this is coming at the end of his life. He has personal and national stockpiles of gold and more. The sacrifice isn't the treasure, though. It's what he could attempt to do with it. He's at the end of his life. He could sit high on the hog. He could be tempted to live a Scrooge McDuck diving into your pile of gold lifestyle, right? I want us to see another element at play here, though. And that is that when we give sacrificially, God uses that to exponentially increase the greatness of what we are giving to. How has the Lord shown his greatness for us here at Southside? This church has been through a lot prior to my coming here. Yet I can remember sitting down with the committee and when we began to talk about details and specifics and it was clear the direction that the Lord was moving us in, one of the things that overwhelmed me at God's providential provision was the fact that we are debt free. And those of you that have been here through all of it, could you imagine going through all the heartache, going through COVID, all of that, having a building debt or some other sort of financial problem hanging over this church? How else has the Lord shown his greatness in his provision for his church? The most recent example that brings a smile on my face is Miss Carrie's house. The Lord used the faithful generosity of an aging widow to provide abundantly for his church here at Southside. So that even when we are surprised by a rather large amount that we have to pay just to get something fixed, we have decisions that we can make. We're not in a bind. Why? Because the Lord has provided. So how can you not be overcome at the greatness of God and the greatness of the mission in the face of such obedient generosity? So we give freely and sacrificially to what God has clearly ordained. Not a temple made with human hands as if he could be served by such nor to line the pockets of any individual, but for the building up of his church, whose head is Christ, the true and better David, the true and better Solomon. Well, let's keep reading here in First Chronicles because I want us to continue to see the context here and then get into that prayer of celebration and thankfulness which we read to begin our time in the Word this morning. So pick back up in verse 5 there of chapter 29. So he goes on to list and tell of his own personal sacrifice and he lists all that he's giving to this effort. The immense amounts of gold and ophir and talents and silver and and all that that's being given. And he says this in verse 5, And for the work to be done by craftsmen, gold for the things of gold, silver for the things of silver. And just don't miss this question here. 
Because this is when he challenges the people. Who then will offer willingly, consecrate himself today to the Lord? Who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord? So now David has testified as to the purpose and providence of this undertaking. That you would do such a thing. So therefore he testifies to how this has influenced him to see his own wealth, not as his own, as something to be hoarded, as something to help him live a more comfortable lifestyle as a king, but rather he sees himself as a conduit for God's provision to be used for God's will. Now, David wants the people of God to walk in the same heartfelt obedience. He wants to lead from a place of service. He wants to say, look, this is how the Lord has compelled me as your king to live. Not a lavish lifestyle, but for me to say, here it is, Lord. Do with it what you will. And so now he poses the question back to the people. Now, who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord? He wants the people of God to walk in willful, heartfelt obedience to the same call and mission. And so he uses the similar language that we see from Exodus 28 where Moses is overseeing the consecration of, of Aaron and his sons as priests. The willingness of our giving is directly tied to whether or not it is satisfactory to the Lord and beneficial for us. You see that at work there? That who then will offer willingly, so from a heart, a place of desiring to serve the Lord with their giving and then what is the action what is the outcome of that not only is God glorified but in doing so he's saying that those who give willingly will then consecrate themselves to the Lord sacrificial giving begins with giving not of our riches but of our hearts so before you give of your money before you write the check what matters is not the amount that's being given. What matters is not even first and foremost that you're giving. But what is the condition of the heart from which you are giving from? That's the issue here. When we give to the Lord at the maximum of our ability and the sacrifice of our desires, we consecrate ourselves for the worship, service, and mission of the Lord. Which means our hearts, our giving, must be directed from a heart that has been changed and compelled by God's glory. Now I want to show us here as we march through David's prayer that we read at the beginning, our text for today. I want to show us six markers or distinctives, if you will, of sacrificial giving. Because notice the order of events here. Again, the sequence here is not come and give that you may find faith. Come and give that you may receive salvation. It's not even come and give as proof of your salvation and faith. The structure and manner in which God has designed and called his people to give is an overflow and a produce of our faith in him and his promises. 
And so here's the first of these six distinctives of sacrificial giving. So the first is that sacrificial giving requires faith in God's promises. And then the, the order of that is important. It's not that sacrificial giving produces faith in God's promises, not at all. But that sacrificial giving requires faith in God's promises. Until we are overwhelmed by what God has spoken of in his word, we will continually be resistant to giving sacrificially or to the extent of our ability. Why? Because it goes against everything in our worldly flesh. I cannot tell you how much bad financial advice I've seen floating around on the internet. But at the root of it all is that, uh, whether it's the good, the bad, the ugly, is one central message. Build up as much wealth as you can in this life, no matter what it takes. That's the flesh. That's the mindset of the flesh when it comes to our finance. Build up that stockpile and hoard it. Hold tightly to it. Build it up. The central consistent message of Scripture when it comes to money is this. All glory is due unto the Lord. The Lord has given all that we have. Therefore, let us use all that we have to glorify the Lord. And that's the heart here as we see leading into David's prayer. Verse 9. So the people respond faithfully, generously, obediently to David's challenge question there of who then will offer willingly. And so the leaders come and they make their free will offerings. So the leaders of each tribe, the commanders of thousands and hundreds, officers gave to the king's work and they give abundantly. And we read this in verse nine. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly. So they just gave a ton of money away for the service of the Lord. And what was their response? It's not one of like, I'm going to give this because I know I'm supposed to. And then they're lamenting about giving it, right? Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly. For with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. At the heart of sacrificial giving is the wholehearted desire to worship God in all things. That must be the focus. It's not to just obligatorily write a check or give an exact percentage point. But it's to worship God in all things. If we seek to find joy in the possession of monetary wealth, we will live a life of waste. If our joy is rightly found in our creator, we will be wholly satisfied in his provision, whatever that looks like. And we will wholly desire to honor him with what he provides. And that's why I want you to see the next distinctive of sacrificial giving there is that sacrificial giving rightly aligns our joy. It reminds us that our joy is not in this thing that we are giving away but in the one whom has given it, given it to us. I want to call you to turn, if you will, to Exodus chapter 35. We see this same sentiment at the very beginning when 
the people are getting ready to build the tabernacle out of obedience to the Lord. And Moses is leading the congregation at this point. So now we have the tabernacle, and now we're going and looking at the building of the permanent dwelling, the temple, at least the permanent for that time. And then we see Exodus chapter 35. We read this, starting in verse 4. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. So notice he's, he's saying this is what the Lord has commanded. Now notice the posture with which he says you are to give. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, fine twine, linen, goat's hair, tan ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and stones for setting of the ephod and for the breastpiece. All of these things were to be for symbols and actions of worship. So they're giving so that they may have a place to worship the Lord as they are moving through the wilderness and into the promised land. So this giving is itself an act of worship. And then jump to verse 20 of Exodus 35. So then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. So Moses has kind of given all the instruction and what's to be given and how it's to be done. It's to be done from a generous heart. Verse 20, all the congregation departed from the presence of Moses, verse 21, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, brought brooches, earrings, signet rings. So they're like just taking off jewelry and they're bringing it all to the Lord and they're giving everything. Everyone who possessed blue or purple scarlet yarn. So they're going back and they're raiding their yarn stash. Right? Everyone who can make a contribution of silver and bronze. All the women whose hearts stirred them used their skill to spun the goat's hair. And the leaders brought onyx stones. So now not only are they giving of their possessions, but they're giving of their time and their abilities. And then verse 29, all the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. And that's the exact same posture that we see reflected here back in 1 Chronicles. So how does a heart, which is naturally selfish, naturally inclined to gather as much wealth as possible, build it up, hoard it, and live off of it, how does that heart become willingly generous? Well, it takes supernatural work of God to change that heart, which is naturally selfish and sinful, to being naturally worshipful of Him. Now, back to David's prayer here in 1 Chronicles. We see this, verses 10 through 13. Therefore, so as a response to everything that he's just watched, he's just watched the people obediently and generously give to their, uh, and abundantly give to the maximum of their ability, just as he had. Therefore, so because of having seen this, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, 
Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, so notice who all the focus is on here. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. So here's the head of the kingdom saying who is the head of him, right? That's what's being acknowledged here. Verse 12, both riches and honor and that's the namesake of this morning's sermon. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. So they just gave away. Typically, when somebody gives you something, who's the one who says thank you? Not the one who's giving. But see how it's upside down here when it comes to giving in the kingdom of God? It's that when we give, we're not saying, Lord, please do, like, like, this is all I got, right? Like, I give it to you. I really don't want to, but here it is. No, it's like, thank you, Lord. And that's the heart we see postured here. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. So the next distinctive there on your outline is that sacrificial giving testifies to the Lord's faithful provision. And this is what we read in 2 Corinthians 9 when Paul is talking to the church about preparing an offering for the Christians in Jerusalem. If you want to just make a note there, go back and read it. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6 through 8, we read this. The point is this. Paul says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. The point is that as we give generously, sacrificially, abundantly, as the Lord has provided for us, that we are consistently bearing witness to those around us and our family, our friends, those who we sit next to in the pew, those whom we sit next to at work, that as we freely and heartfelt, willingly give to the Lord, we are consistently testifying to the Lord's faithful provision in our lives. And we continue reading. We see this in verse 14, picking back up in 1 Chronicles 29. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? So who am I to be even, even have anything to give? Is what David says. And who are we as a nation to have anything to give? For all things come from you and of your own have, you, have we given you. We've just given you what was already yours is what David says to the Lord. For we are strangers before you and sojourners as all our fathers were. So now he's recounting God's redemptive history and purpose through his people. And he's recounting their time wandering in the wilderness. 
in slavery in Egypt. Our days on the earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding. He says, O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. I want to see here the distinctive of sacrificial giving is that it humbles our mind. That's the next point there on your outline. So that when we give sacrificially to the Lord, it is a constant and consistent reminder that it's not even ours to begin with. That we can build ourselves up to think that we need the highest rank at work, that we need that next promotion, that we need that next pay raise so that we can have that status, so that we can be a little bit more comfortable, so that we can do this or that. But when we give sacrificially and obediently, it humbles our mind to remind us, oh yeah, this, this is yours anyway, Lord. You're the one who has given this. It is all your own. We continue reading there, verse 17. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people. So David's testifying to how he's, he gave, and that was motivation enough to give willingly to the Lord. But now he says, and now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes, performing all, and that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. The point I want us to see here and the distinctive that I want to see here is that sacrificial giving directs our hearts to the Lord. When we are faithful, consistent, and sacrificial in our giving, the Lord uses that to continually reorient our hearts away from ourselves, away from our worldly lusts, away from our monetary gains and toward him and his glory. It is a continual reminder of, who, of the one to whom we are to be offering up not just monetary offerings, but our entire lives and our hearts. Continue reading there. Pick back up in verse 20. Then David said to all the assembly, Bless the Lord your God. And all the assembly blessed the Lord. They gladly, instantly, they blessed the Lord, the God of their fathers, bowed their heads, paid homage to the Lord and to the king. And they offered sacrifices to the Lord. And on the next day, offered burnt offerings to the Lord. And then we are told the just sheer number of offerings that they offer in this moment. A thousand bulls, rams, lambs. And this is all in response to what? It's not that the Lord just gave them something, but that they just gave of what the Lord has already given. Their response here is of overwhelming thankfulness at their own giving to the Lord. They're prompted to worship, not because God has just said, here, I'm going to make you the richest nation of all. 
but because they themselves have given obediently to the Lord. And they ate and drank before the Lord on that day with great gladness. And the next and last distinctive I want us to see there is that sacrificial giving edifies the church. It edifies the people of God. When I continually see our giving far exceeding what our budget projected, I can't help but be overwhelmed at the sacrificial generosity and obedience of my brothers and sisters. And that does a few things. First, it makes me praise God for his abundant provision for his church, knowing that he is positioning us to be a force for his kingdom in Russ County and beyond. Second, the second thing is that it makes me take constant analysis. Am I giving to the maximum of my family's ability? Am I worshiping God through his provision for my family? The third thing it does is it makes me eagerly look to how we can be good stewards of that provision, not in hoarding it, but in leveraging all of it for his kingdom. Because this is what we see the response of the early church in Acts chapter 2. I'll encourage you to turn there as we prepare to close. Acts chapter 2. Starting in verse 44. So as the early church has been formed, Peter has preached his sermon at Pentecost and hearts have been stirred and moved in obedience to the Lord. Again, their hearts have been changed, right? And this is what we see, verse 44. All who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so we see the Lord using the obedience of his people to continually bring more and for the spread of his gospel and the expansion of his kingdom. Not only that, but as they are doing it, they're impacting one another as they see the testimony of the Lord's provision. Turn again, though, because this is one of the more popular verses on this. I want you to look to chapter 4 of Acts. Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 32. So this is after Peter and John have been released and the believers praying for boldness. And we see this in verse 32 of chapter 4. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. So that kind of informs what we read of having everything in common uh, back in chapter 2. But continue reading. Verse 33. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. The greatness of the sacrifice is not measured by the amount of the gift the substance of the gift, but is measured by the God of the gift and the heart from which it comes. So let us give sacrificially, willingly, and abundantly 
as we are able, that God's name may be made known among the nations. Let's pray, church. God, we love you. Pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here who has been convicted of their own heart of giving, or maybe the lack thereof, or maybe there's someone here who has been giving from the wrong posture. They've gotten that out of whack. They've been giving and giving and giving, just hoping that it would cover their, their sinful living or their lack of having sought you in repentance. I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here who does not know you, has been living a lifestyle out of a lack of giving or giving from the wrong heart, that you would move their heart in repentance and obedience to you and draw them to salvation. For those of us who know you, Lord, may you use this text to challenge us to be worshipful in our giving, to be joyful in our giving, to be thankful to you in our giving. That our sacrifice may be great, just as the mission which we walk in obedience to is great. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.